0: Hey guys, uh, welcome to the SaaS Sessions podcast. I'm Abhilash and I'll be your host for today. Uh, we have Nimesh Mathur on the podcast today. Welcome Nimesh.
1: Hey Abhilash, how are you
0: doing? I'm good Nimesh. Really glad to have you here. Uh, Nimesh is a veteran uh, at customer success with around 14 years of experience. He's groomed teams at HackerRank, LureSite, and currently heads customer success for branch in the India, Southeast Asia and Australia region. Really glad to have you on the podcast Nimesh.
1: It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: On today's episode, we're going to talk about customer success in general, and also get into a a little bit of nitty gritty into how exactly the function works. And what do you need to focus on? Uh, Namesh, to start off, I'd like to uh, understand more about you and your journey into the world of customer success. All right, yeah, I'll start from
1: where it all begins. I was born in the historic city of Pajmir, which is in Rajasthan. And Growing up, I did all the stereotypical things that kids who were reasonably good at studies in India did in that era, which is you get a degree in engineering, right? So I started with a degree in engineering, I moved to a software developer job. 18-20 months into the software job, I realized that while I liked doing what I was doing, it wasn't something that got me excited from a long-term career standpoint. And that was the moment I decided to do the next stereotypical things that engineers in India do, which is to get an MBA from Premier Institute. Now, fortunately, I didn't do it because I was able to get myself a job uh, in a bootstrap startup in Bangalore on the business side of things, where I end up staying for almost six years and, uh, you know, wearing multiple hats across every function and role probably accept writing code. And this was in 2008 when startups were not cool, you know, with the fancy offices and crazy salaries that you see now. And I think I learned much more than what a formal degree from a management institute could have taught me. And I strongly believe that those were the formative years in customer success because, you know, I I, I would consider myself lucky that I got to be part of the CS revolution very early which gave me the opportunities to build the CS team grounds up across multiple companies. And I think the biggest advantage then was that, uh, especially in India and APAC, that customer success was still in the experimentation mode. So making mistakes was more acceptable in those days.
0: Very true. Quite interesting. Like, uh, I think based on your experience there, you would have seen uh, all functionalities uh, at different departments. And at that time, customer success was not even a buzzword, like it wasn't very popular back then. But again, it's a fundamental part of business. So it would have been really interesting to actually uh, get to the roots back then itself.
1: Yeah, and I think what really worked well was, so today we talk about how customer success is so cross-functional, right? You end up working with across departments. And because I worked at a startup, I was doing sales for some time. I was doing operations. I was doing marketing. I was doing recruitment. So, and I was contributing to the product as well. So all these experiences really helped me, you know, build on the customer success skills and that really went a long way. And that's why I mentioned that, you know, I probably learned much more than a formal management degree because you get to do things right. And that was, you know, I was in the industry for less than three years. And when you get all that exposure, I think it really does the job of uh, preparing you for what's next to come.
0: Noted, noted. Namesh, also currently, uh, after you've been through customer success, like you've done it yourself, you've built teams, Like, what does your typical day look like right now?
1: I think the biggest lie is uh, when people have uh, a fixed typical day. I think that's just not possible. Maybe in very large organization that does work well. But I think in any fast paced growth stage companies, uh, the only thing that is very constant is that I do start early. So Because my teams are in Australia and Singapore as well, I typically start my day at around 7.30ish, 8 a.m. India time. And I would go into details of activity level things, but principally there are a few, you know, things that every activity will, you know, tag to. For example, you will think about how to make your own company successful. And that success for your own company will vary with the stage your company is in. For example, at some stage, a validation from customer is considered as the metric of success for you. At some stage, it is the growth of the customer, revenue growth, customer base growing, which is how many customers do you have? How much brand awareness do you have? So this keeps evolving, right? And at various stages that I've worked at, so I've worked at a bootstrap company, I've worked at a venture funded company, I've worked at a company that went IPO, and now I work for a company that is valued over a billion dollars. Now for all those companies, when I joined them, the stage was different. So with respect to my current job, it's a different, you know, Stage than all my other companies. And that is the reason why making the company successful is actually a unique thing from what I would have done at any other place. Similarly, your other criteria are how do you make your team members successful? Right. And because it's no longer just about you performing well, you have to ensure that your team members perform well. You have to give them the coaching, whether it's the resources that they need, the right exposure that they need to do well at their job next comes how to make your customer successful so you are reviewing the roi decks with your team members you're reviewing the value in terms of communicating the value as well it's one thing to have your customer realize the value and it's another thing to communicate the value that you have delivered right and another very important part which i believe a lot of cs leaders you know don't value as much as they should is that they need to also enable the cross-functional success for example how you're contributing to other departments which is How do you partner with sales? How do you partner with marketing? How do you partner with product teams? Because that is very important. For that matter, how do you partner with finance team? Because the forecasting that you do will actually be very critical on how much investment your company can make for the customers. And especially in these times, right? When you know that a lot of your customers will probably need that favor in terms of adjusting to their cash flows. Can you think about altering the payment terms for your customer? Can you think about, you know, delaying the invoices that you have raised? So all those things, uh, you know, will play a huge part in how your day-to-day activities will look like.
0: Got it. Got it. Uh, Again, touching upon this, uh, the same point that you mentioned, that uh, customer success is cross-functional. Like basically, they deal with each and every function in the organization. So I wanted to understand, like, uh, how do you see customer success as a competitive differentiator for companies? Like, do people focus more on customer success? Or like, because I've seen in a few places where uh, companies are just thinking about customer success. Like they have support teams, they have other uh, departments, but they're thinking of whether they need a specific customer success uh, pod within their organization as well. So I think
1: uh, if you think about it in the last few years that I've noticed It's no longer a choice that you have because your customers expect you to have a customer success team. Like there have been occasions when we haven't even talked about customer success uh, at our company, but customers have asked, so how does your customer success team look like? Which geographies are they based in? What is the structure of your customer success team? So customers are now expecting you to have that value. And it's they, even they are not limited to, you know, expecting that you will help them in the initial trainings and adoption. They do want the trusted advisors who can, you know, share the industry best practices, what other companies or other customers of yours are doing. So that's the expectation. And I read a very interesting quote sometime back that, you know, uh, a lot of times your business promises are good only if you can keep them. And customer success, therefore, is the emerging battleground of competitive differentiation because if you don't have it, the probability of you growing the revenue through the customer is ridiculously low. Because if you think about it, as you grow, the contribution of recurring revenue to the total business will typically be in range of 70 to 90%. right? And if you do not have that good retention rate, you will not be able to grow or even survive for that matter. I mean, you'll keep filling the bucket, which is leaking heavily. And nobody is setting up a business to work with the customer only once, because your majority of revenue from that customer will happen post the initial first sale. And that for me is a big enough reason from both customer standpoint as well as your company standpoint that it is the competitive differentiator because if you have to survive and flourish, you need customers and for that you need customer success. So I absolutely think that not only customers expected and the fact that your company can't do well without it, I think it's, it's, it's more or more becoming a, You know and hygiene in these times
0: got it got it Nimesh Uh, again i see customer success as being a very integral part of all organizations like effective to covid have you observed any trends in the industry in general
1: yeah and i think that's where awareness will help Uh, so you will and because we are industry agnostic and most of saas providers are i think if you look at all the successful saas companies you will see that a majority of them are uh, working across industries. Now, what happens then is that you will have certain industries that have taken a huge hit. For example, in our case, we work with a lot of companies in the travel space, hospitality in this, as well as money lending space, right? Now, all those sectors have suffered. And you need to op- be open to let go of a short-term you know, benefits To make sure that you can support them for the long term and those are values that you need to communicate to your team from top to bottom because a customer success manager who is working for the set of customers that they manage know that they can potentially increase you know what they deliver to a certain industry type customers if you don't really make it an organizational mandate and that is the reason why we have gone an extra mile to support customers irrespective of uh, you know what their current revenue to us is depending on which industry they are in how they have been impacted can we do anything to make sure that they're successful in the long term and when you do those things you're pretty sure of the repeat business you're pretty sure of uh, if you help them in this phase they grow you will grow with them as well and i think that emotional intelligence is very important in these times and sometimes it need not mean any financial favor as well it can just be you're going an extra mile and probably consulting them more than you would have done otherwise. And because because you know that we have those low-touch, high-touch kind of models and to look a little beyond what your setup is like, right? And and, and that's uh, the emotional intelligence I'm referring to. And if you don't drive it, your team may not proactively do it. And once you do it as a company culture, it, it becomes automatic. And everybody starts thinking that way on how can we make our customers successful.
0: Got it. It's very interesting that uh, as a customer success manager and also someone who's managing the team, like your main priority is making sure that the customer is successful. And getting yourself in those shoes and helping them out in the long run is something that is very essential to a customer success manager. I would also want to understand from your perspective, what do you think makes a good or average customer success manager? Well, I think
1: uh, the most obvious things when customer success managers start their career in CS is that they know they have to learn the product like that's a no-brainer but what I would also recommend is that in addition to learning the product and of course the dashboards and the basic nuances of uh, you know how the product in your industry works it's important to know the industry domain of your customers and integrity around it otherwise you will struggle to be seen as a trusted advisors by your customers so for example if you don't know how your customer make money it's difficult for you to showcase the value you bring to their business now it doesn't come naturally you have to obviously invest a lot of time to learn that you need to know is this a business that is low margin high margin what are their priorities and you know and people say that hey how do i know that i need to go an extra mile and i often give this example that if you have a customer who never make you meet their leadership team or you know their bosses They probably don't do that because they're not confident. If you will be able to do a great, insightful conversation with their leadership team. And, you know, you may end up having customers who only reach out to you when they need some usage report or query on some product feature or, you know, navigate through your dashboard. And if you are in that situation, you know that you need to up your game. And while there are some things that are obvious, which is that you need to be more empathetic, you need to be proactive, you need to be consultative. I think often the point that gets missed is you need to know your customer's business. And as I highlighted before, if you are in a SaaS company which works industry agnostic, you need to understand how retail works. You need to understand how you know OTTs work in case you have customers who are in OTT. You need to know how payment gateway works. How do they make money? Because if you don't understand that, it will be difficult for you to even have conversations. And I think beyond your product in the initial phase when people do need your help in Knowing how to navigate your product dashboard and all beyond that is the is conversation of that level that will you know differentiate you as a customer success manager who is an okay customer success manager versus somebody who really understands the business and that is extremely important as we grow because your competition will have it as well, and then you cannot say that, hey, we have a customer success team because it will no longer be about you having customer success team because everybody has it. So then the thing is, are your customer success managers capable enough to consult not only on your product best practices, but even on what your competitor are doing in terms of practices? And that doesn't mean you need to share specific details of what they're doing using your product. It, it means that what are they doing, which is in public domain, but they may not have read about it because that may be very specific to your product domain. And you need to bring that intelligence. You you may have to talk about, hey, how companies in the U.S. are working. Let's say if you have a customer in Singapore, they may be interested in knowing that or how companies in Europe are doing. Because with hundreds of customers solving the same problem, you have that leverage that to your benefit. Then you, you lose a significant advantage that uh,
0: you have at your disposal. Got it, Dimash. I wanted to understand this collaboration that happens between teams, how do you manage things internally? Because as a customer success manager, you're not only dealing with stakeholders outside your business, like with your customers, you have multiple touch points and you also have multiple touch points inward within the company. So how does this collaboration happen and how does a customer success manager kind of balance both of these?
1: Yeah, so I'll, I'll talk about two teams that uh, CSM most closely work with now sales is obvious, because you know that you have a number attached to it. But what often get missed is uh, how do you collaborate with marketing? Because technically, there is no number attached to it. Right? And that's where it gets interesting, because it doesn't come naturally to a lot of people in customer success that they need to collaborate very closely with marketing. And if you think about it, making existing customers successful should Ideally result in their turning into your brand advocates. I mean, their success stories in the form of podcasts, videos, blogs,
0: testimonials,
1: case studies, references will incredibly connect well with your prospects. And I see this as a great intersection point of customer success and marketing teams to collaborate. It's not really a secret that validation coming from an industry peer who is facing similar challenges is far, far more credible than you know, you doing a clever advertisement or expecting the customer to click a email subject line, which you know, you you have cleverly written and those insights from existing customers are probably the greatest asset your marketing team will ever have. And that's where you collaborate. In fact, you know, if if you don't have it already, I would recommend that all your sales decks should have customer success mentioned as one of the slides, you need to talk about the value that CS brings in and whether you are working as a CSM, you are working as a CS leader, it should be on your agenda to make sure that marketing leverages CS and CS leverages marketing in the form of customer marketing. And to make it even more, uh, you know, error proof, I would also suggest that, uh, you know, you should probably track percentage of customers who sign up because you know, they heard about you from an existing customer or were referrals of an existing customer or were influenced heavily by an existing customer because that's probably the best way to measure advocacy. And, you know, while I like the value what NPS or a net promoter score brings in, it doesn't really have a meaning if your customers in reality do not promote or advocate your product. I mean, you can have an incredible NPS, but when you analyze the data that, hey, how many of the customers I got because of an existing customer's influence, and if that number is zero, then you know, your NPS score is delusional.
0: Quite interesting that point that you make there where companies are obsessed on measuring the NPS score, uh, where they want to see how it's trending quarter on quarter. But if the advocacy from uh, your customers is not there, then definitely that's a question mark. Like, are you actually measuring something? That's valuable. again, as you mentioned, like collaboration between marketing is a very good uh, metric because it also helps you build your relationships with your customers.
1: Correct. For example, if you know you work with a chief marketing officer at a customer's place, now you are not talking to them on tactical stuff, and that's where you partner with marketing and seek opportunities if they can speak at your events, right and if, if they can give a quote in the case studies that you do. And that's where I really love the value that marketing and CS collaboration brings in, because they're looking at a broader picture of engaging and increasing the sphere of influence together, because it's not somebody's job, it's 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 a collaborative job. And, and I think as long as you don't care who gets the credit of, you know, doing something that happened. And I think that's what differentiate great companies from good companies, in great companies, you will always have people who will collaborate well, cross functionally, and that, that's something that I give immense importance to.
0: That's great, Nimesh. Good to get that perspective from your side. Extending this, this discussion on collaboration between teams. Now, you spoke about how sales and marketing plays like a key role. Like how can customer success uh, work with these functions? Uh, but there's another uh, key team where there's kind of like an interesting love-hate relationship, the product team. Like how do you kind of manage customer expectations? with
1: your product team? I think that's a question that everybody can relate to in CSN product. And I think the biggest myth is that a lot of customer success managers think that product doesn't really understand the importance of customer feedback and insights. The reality is that they do. It's not that they don't value that feedback. It's it's just that CSMs too should be considerate of the fact that not every product feature request from the customer will align with your company's long-term strategy and vision. And a lot of times it's very difficult for product team to react to a one-off feedback. And that again has a dependency on how irate was the customer, right? And you get the feedback, you run to the product team and say, I want this now or else we are deal, you know, losing this deal. And I think there, ha- there should be more method to that madness. For example, you need to learn to convert that subjective feedback into something that is data driven, because data is the common language that can enable more efficient communication between CS and product. And and if you think about what should product be doing, they should ideally act as a catalyst uh, or an evangelist of the company's long term vision internally, because that way, customer success team will be better equipped to set the right expectation with the customer. Because if you set wrong expectations or unrealistic expectation, and your product does not evolve in a way that you suggested to the customer it makes customers feel that their feedback is not valued or is useless. And you need to place customers at the center of your ecosystem, realizing that you cannot move forward if customers do not feel as they're part of the partnership. So as much as making customers a partner is important from strategizing on your product roadmap, it's also important that you know what your company's long-term vision and strategy is. And while that will continue to evolve, it cannot be a one-way street because Things typically go wrong when either CS or product makes an attempt to be a control freak on everything product related, and that's not healthy. And I think that's what at times create those miscommunication internally between the two teams, because when it comes to communication in customer success, I think it's not just the external communication to the customer. It's also the internal communication with other functions within the organization. And it's, it's very important to have that internal transparency, trust and mutual respect. So super critical uh, to get it right, because if you don't get that right, uh, there are high chances that, you know, you, you'll have huge discrepancies between, you know, what your customers expects from your product, what it delivers, because you made a mistake of not setting those expectations in the beginning.
0: Total damage. Based on your experience, uh, what recommendations have you seen
1: work really well? I think one very easy thing, and I think I won't go into very complicated things to make it right. Just, Make the two teams talk, for example, and don't make that conversation happen once in five months. You know, ideally, depending on how complex your product is, maybe set up a bi-weekly or at least once in a month meeting where product talks about what are they working on? What are the reasons that they have prioritized uh, one thing over another? Similarly, customer success can present their perspective which they have got from customers on what more customers are asking for. And also when you present what more customers are asking for, it should not be just the number of customers. It should also talk about how much are those customers that are asking you for this are paying currently or have the potential to pay. Are they your strategic customers? Are they your non-strategic customers? I mean, so it needs to have those value as well. And I think the easiest way is, as I mentioned, have two teams talk more often.
0: That's quite an interesting insight there. Like I am sure that lots of teams out there don't actually do this. And it's, it's something that's overlooked where, uh, in a quarter, maybe at the end of the quarter, they might be talking about, okay, what features are prioritized and how do we have this discussion? But clearly, uh, having that conversation more often will make sure that both teams are aligned to the overall success.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think mutual respect will increase as well because everybody knows what they need to do in the long term is when you prioritize what you prioritize that will, you know, will be extremely critical when you have frequent catch-ups.
0: Absolutely. Uh, again, like, touching back upon customer success itself, Nimesh, I wanted to understand from your perspective, as a customer success manager, like they generally uh, they know that okay, their KPI is to make sure that a customer achieves their desired outcomes. But how exactly does a customer success manager understand what an actual outcome would be?
1: That's a great question. I'm going to discover their desired outcomes. And that hardly happens. You you don't discover uh, everything in like 30 minutes duration. Because if you go and ask a customer, hey, here's an Excel sheet that I've opened in front of you. Uh, just tell me your desired outcomes so that I can document it. it. It, it doesn't really happen that easily because... It is a discovery process that, you know, you gradually uncover all the priorities that they have by asking the right questions. And they should be open-ended questions in a lot of cases. For example, there are two kinds of outcomes that you'll hear from customer. One is the person you're working with. They may have their own KPIs and KRAs, which can be very different from desired outcomes. And you really need to understand both, get those validated, right? And just have a meeting and think that this is fixed for the year now by telling the customer what their desired outcome should be based on what they have heard from probably another customer who was like this customer right and that doesn't really help and because if you don't have those desired outcomes you can never create a success plan and if you don't have a success plan it makes your job to be proactive in the engagement very difficult because without understanding their uh, desired outcomes how will you create that success plan? And if you don't create a success plan, how will you engage the customer through the year? Because you can't just go back through the year asking customer that, hey, let me know in case you need any assistance. You need to engage customer through the statuses of, uh, you know, where the desired outcomes are at today. When you do a business review, you can't just have a dashboard screenshots on how their usage is like. You need to talk about uh, how you have delivered on their expectations, which they had shared in the beginning of the engagement. Another important part is that those outcomes may vary with time. And I'll give you a classic example because it's happening right now. We had a customer who we signed up eight months ago. In the first 40, 45 days, uh, we, we documented the entire desired outcomes, we built a success plan. Uh, 45 days back, None of those desired outcomes are valid now. And if you don't understand that, you will again fail because you're working towards solving something which is no longer a customer's priority. And that is the reason why the meetings that you do with your customers as a part of your engagement should not just be tactical. It has to keep referencing back to the bigger goal. It should not be that, hey, customer is facing this issue today. I solved the issue in the last two weeks, how that issue solutioning impacts the goal that they mentioned in the beginning that has to be communicated to the customer again if you think of it as a one-time activity you will never succeed you should also let the customers know that what they need to do in order to make this success plan successful because if this is a partnership customers also have a role to play because without that customers will not be able to meet the outcomes that they talked about the probability of your revenue coming from the customer next year will go dramatically down and not get success using your product and services.
0: What I understand from this is for first, uh, as a customer success manager, you need to work with the teams and understand what their goals are, let's like say for the short term and long term, and you kind of build your plan around that. And as things change, like if you notice any like say, uh, trends, or if you see that there are changes happening in the industry, you again touch base with them and check if these uh, outcomes are relevant and you rework on them so that you can eventually make the customer successful. Like I think having that communication apart from general uh, touch points on support or product issues or product uh, discussions, Having a larger view on what the customer actually wants to uh, achieve, if you have those conversations frequently with the team, it would help in pre- uh, developing your relationships and also eventually delivering success as well.
1: Exactly, and, and sometimes you have to take sometimes you have to take uh, innovative approaches as well. For example, I once asked my customer POC that you know on what basis will you get a promotion to understand what their KPIs and KRAs are depending on you know, how well you connect with the person, you can ask these questions in different ways, what your company's goals are, and in larger customers, you can actually read about those goals uh, on their website at times, you can read about them in the media. So you, you need to broaden up your mindset on how to discover those desired outcomes. Currently, most people are fixed upon, hey, I'll go and ask those outcomes. If I don't get the answer, I'll probably say that customer doesn't know what their desired outcomes are. Now, that does not work. And that's the reason when you started this question, you talked about everybody knows, but it doesn't really happen every time. That's because we look at it you know, in a, in a very close mindset approach. We don't look at it with a growth mindset.
0: Understood. That's quite an interesting perspective out there. Like You know what is right, but you just need to broaden your mindset on how exactly can you achieve those goals. And you rightly mentioned a few examples there as well. I'm sure people can definitely try it out Uh, Rounding this off, uh, I just wanted to get a few insights from you, uh, Namesh. like based on your experience in customer success, for an organization or for an individual in customer success to become successful, what are like few things that you think they should focus on?
1: I think the most important piece is uh, to be proactive, to anticipate, uh, think about what is likely to happen in the future in your customer's life, because that will help you with the right prioritization. And the next step is to evaluate if your actions are working. I'll give you one very small example uh, just to keep it short. For example, I once asked uh, you know, uh, a CSM that I was interacting with on social that how do you measure your onboarding is completed? And the answer I got was that, hey, we have uh, three hours of training that we do for the customer. The moment that training is done, we conclude that onboarding is completed. Now, that's probably not the right way to you know, conclude that onboarding process is over the least you should do is to at least wait for the customer to acknowledge the first value that they get from you. And, you know, you can refer that metric as time to first value. That may happen in five days, seven days, 20 days, depending on how, you know, how your product is. But wait for that to happen. Once the customer gets that value, you communicate, customer acknowledges, yes, then probably that's a way, the right way for you to say that, okay, onboarding is somewhat completed, because not only I did those trainings and those dashboard demos, the customer has got the value as well. Now, other couple of examples on how your proactive approach should work. And this is at times needed for you to be in discipline as well. So you ask a customer success manager that, hey, do you engage with customers? And the answers you'll get at times is, yeah, we talk to them twice, thrice a month, so it should be good. Now, a very small difference is that You may be talking three times to a customer in a month, or maybe whatever your frequency needs to be, depending on the customer tier and the need and what they pay you and things like that. The reality is if you have two meetings with the customer and if it's possible for you to have a cadence for it, mark it on the calendar. Because when you mark it on the calendar, you have an accountability that this meeting is gonna happen two days from now. You'll prepare for it. You will try your best to give customers value in that meeting because it is not a need-based. 10 minutes conversation because if you don't do this proactively, then that is customer support, which is customer calls you when they need you, but then you don't have a formal proactive way to engage with them. Another example to explain it with more clarity is a lot of times you say that, hey, I work day to day with person A, the person B and person C don't really engage with me at this point. Now, you may not get them for those meetings, but can you think about maybe writing a summary email on what has happened in the last one month and sending to those folks as well who needs to know what's happening because they are the decision makers, but they're not engaged on a day to basis. And maybe a business review is too long a cycle for them to not know about what's happening. And if it helps, maybe ask your manager to send that monthly summary email saying that, hey, I know that my team member is working with your team. Here's a summary that I got from, my team member and I'm just sharing it for your visibility. Now what that does is it helps you increase your sphere of influence. You have kept the decision makers informed and because you had the responsibility of keeping them informed, you proactively worked on some initiatives so that you can make that monthly summary email look worthwhile. So these are subtle things that you can do from proactivity standpoint. Otherwise the most easiest thing to do in customer success is to get onto that reactive mode saying that hey they're using the product okay they log into the dashboard so I, I don't really have to talk there are innovative things that you can do to make sure that you're proactive as a habit and i, I think if customer success is not proactive it's not customer success i mean a reactive customer success is an oxymoron
0: very true Nime. those examples are really insightful like most of the things are things that on paper you know that you have to do but you don't actually think about how do you execute this. So these examples, I'm sure that a lot of people who listen to this podcast are definitely going to use those as actionables. It was a pleasure discussing all these pointers on customer success from you, Nimesh. I just wanted to ask you a few general questions. What keeps you going at work?
1: I think the answer keeps changing uh, very frequently. <laughs> so I'll talk about uh, like there are some things that stay permanent. For example, the colleagues you get to work with. And you know, the, the the collaboration you get to do with them keeps you going. The fact that you're making a contribution to your company's growth and your customers' growth keeps you going. And of course, the compensation keeps you going as well. And I think, you know, just to give you an example of how different it is uh, between the phase of life you are in. So I remember from my first job, uh, uh, there was a cool phone called motorizer in that time. I thought, okay, if I work for a few months, I'll be able to afford that phone. And that's that, that that was the only priority and that's kept me moving and going at that time. Of course, things have changed now as I talked about the, the four C's, which is challenge, colleagues, contribution, compensation, customers, they are more of motivators now because look, the life of a hyper growth stage CS leader is chaotic and I'm perfectly fine with that because that's an aspect that a lot of people love, including myself, each day brings a new set of challenges, obstacles and successes. And of course, there there can be times when schedule demands imbalance, which can at times lead to occasional stress. But what's also true is that, you know, when you is during these moments when you know, you're pushed, that you find yourself looking back in amazement, at you know, the work that you did, and what you were able to accomplish in that time period. So I think it's, it's, it's worth the effort. And if you decide to work for a high growth stage companies, uh, you you need to be in agreement that, you know, these things will happen. And that's that keeps you going at times because doing difficult things is fun. And I think that's my biggest motivator at this point, which is to get to do difficult things.
0: That's amazing, Namesh. Uh, apart from challenges that you see at work, how do you keep yourself up- updated? Like, are there any newsletters or blogs or people that you follow that uh add a little value into what you do every day look the
1: people i follow not at a little value but a huge value in fact majority of cs that i've learned is you know thanks to a lot of people that i've followed i can probably take some names because i follow them very frequently so i love folks at success hacker uh andrew Marks, Todd abby aaron thompson i learned a lot from lincoln murphy from 16 ventures Ayat from CSM Practice, Nick Mehta, Alison Pickens from Gainsight, Puneet Kataria from Customer Success Box, Jay Nathan from Customer Imperative, Dave Blake from Client Success, Jason Lemkin from Shastra, Christine Hare from the Success League, and and so many people, but these were some names that are on top of my head. Other than that, I do read a lot of books on sales and success. Favorite books in sales will be... uh, so. There's a book by Dan Ariely called Predictably Irrational. I love that book. I also love a book called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. This is a book called Proactive Selling by Skip Miller, Matthew Dixon and Brent Adamson. And and I was recently reading Multiplier by Liz Weissman. So these were some of the books that not necessarily customer success, but more on the principles and foundations of sales. You know, I love reading in addition to all the people that I mentioned earlier that I'm hugely inspired by and most of what I've learned is thanks to those people that I named initially.
0: Thanks for sharing those, Nimesh. Uh, What I'll do is I'll add a list of all these people on the show notes so other people can also go ahead and follow them as well. Finally, uh, how can people reach out to you, Nimesh? You've given us a huge understanding into the world of customer success. I'm sure people would have questions and would want to know more. So what's the best way people can reach out to you?
1: Look, I do get a lot of messages on LinkedIn and I am I'm, I'm saying it live that I'll respond to all of them. So you will not have somebody reach out to me on LinkedIn and not get a response. In addition to that, uh, my email ID is numerical one at gmail.com. So if anybody wants to reach out, they can do that as well. But LinkedIn is quite safe. Like if I don't respond during the weekdays, I definitely spend a half an hour or so to respond on those messages during the weekend.
0: Perfect. So guys, you know how to reach out to Nimesh now. Thanks so much for taking time out uh, today for this discussion, Nimesh. It was really insightful and I really learned a lot
1: as well. My pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me, Abhinash. Thank you so much.